Yo, yo, this is Oz, host and founder of Salinas in the Ground podcast. And this is Claudia Melendez Salinas, co-founder of Voices of Monterey Bay. So Salinas in the Ground podcast, we've been around for six years, and I swore since the beginning that we would never do anything political. But this year, this election season's a little bit different. And I thought to myself, now is the time that we have to do something. So like, I called around to see who I can get to, to help back me up on this. And Claudia luckily answered my call. Voices of Monterey Bay has been around for nearly three years. And we were created with the idea of amplifying important voices around the community. So then Osvaldo asked, hey, you want to come along so we can do some political reporting? And I thought, why not? So this is an experiment. And... Uh, so the next following weeks, we'll be interviewing as many candidates for Salinas City office as possible. The elections are coming up quickly on November 3rd, so we have to we have to hurry it up. Oz and I work full time, so we will only have time to interview one or two candidates a week, which means we won't have time to cover school boards or other races. But we're committed to getting to all the candidates for Salinas City Council, and maybe we'll try to squeeze in a... Uh, uh, ballot proposition or two? What say you, Oz? Hey, we'll we'll try our best. We ju- we just got the we just got the voter guide, so we'll see we'll see what we can fit before the before the third. And now, without further ado, this week's candidate. Yo yo yo, we're back, and uh, our candidate series continues with Voices of Monterey Bay. Oz here, Claudia next to me. Hello, um, everybody. Hello. I don't know why I tell people hello. I'm the one that started it. But we're back. And now we have another candidate for Monterey County Supervisor. That that brings, we got both of them on. Yeah. Man. You're right. All right. So we have Steve McShane now here sitting in front of us. His turn on the hot seat. and I don't know, the warm seat or something. I don't know how, how hot it gets. But welcome. Welcome. And thank you for doing this, Steve. You bet, Oz. It's good to be back, and uh, thank you for your seven years of podcasting. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been quite a fun ride, and this is a first for us. So, and this has been fun already so far. And and again, thanks again to Voices of Monterey Bay and Claudia uh, for doing this, for joining us, and not laughing at us and saying, "Oh, come on, come on." No, yeah. just kidding. Just kidding. We we know we we we. We take this very seriously. Thank you, Claudia. Uh, you have a passion for truth, for journalism. Uh, we've worked together a lot over the years, and uh, you truly, it's not just a job to you, <laughs> and and that means a lot yeah. to keep people informed. Thank you. Thank you. But all right. Well, let's just jump right into this, and you are a current Salinas Council member, so uh, some of our audience might know you a little bit more, but this is our first introductory question is who are you and why did you decide to run for this position? Sure. So as a matter of introduction to Salinas residents, uh, arts, culture, technology, I hope that can be a little bit of a focus today. The last time I was on your show was to talk about the Salinas Valley Food and Wine Festival, which I founded. Uh, I'll never forget getting free tickets to the Pebble Beach Food and Wine and saying to people, we got to do this in Salinas. And we did for 10 years. Uh, You know, this year will be the year we didn't have it, but it'll be back next year. Um, you know, Salinas is cool. We just got to let people know it. <laughs> um, and I've always believed that as a council member. Um, I've been on the council 10 years. And you know, I think my orientation has been around community. Um, it's been about technology. Um, I own an ag tech company and uh, have 
uh, actually started an unsuccessful ag tech company that we could maybe talk about on another occasion, given to you know some of your listeners and their interests. Uh, but certainly as a council member, I've uh, been very interested in neighborhood improvement, um, excited about neighborhood gardens, uh, community gardens I've put in place uh, throughout the city, uh, the Adopt a Tree program. Uh, you know, crime solutions to crime that are community oriented. I'm very proud of, you know, our restorative justice, our governing for racial equity, our training and reorientation around safety in Salinas that, that really goes towards, you know, a different end, uh, you know, a different end. Um, there's, there's, there's locking people up and then there's prevention and there's, you know, care and, and community. Um, so neighborhoods and neighborhood empowerment's an area of, that I'm very proud about, but also arts. Um, I wrote the arts ordinance for the city, which resulted in an arts commission, uh, a funded arts commission uh, that that funds public art. Um, so very excited about that. Uh, like I said, culture, arts, technology. Uh, certainly, there's there's plenty more to say, and I'm sure we'll get to it on this this yeah, talk. Yeah, and, yeah. and like you're saying again, that's all city stuff. So wh- why make the jump up to the county level? Sure. So what people don't realize when you get on city council. There's all these regional boards. Um, shoot, for 10 years, I've been on the Air District Board. I sit on the California Van Pool Authority Board. There's a, you know, the Association of Monterey Bay Area Governments. There's, there's all these different boards. Uh, and I, I realize that many of our challenges require regional collaboration, regional working together. Uh, and there's a few issues that have just really, really bothered me. And my number one issue and number one motivator is homelessness. Uh, Salinas has borne the brunt of homelessness. But as you look countywide and you look to the peninsula, Seaside and Marina bearing additional brunts of homelessness. And and it kind of opens up to a, a bigger picture where Seaside and Marina you know, to some extent have kind of been, you know, where everything kind of lands on the peninsula, whether it's the dump or the water treatment facility or ultimately a desalinization plant that, yeah. that could endanger water. So uh, I'm, I'm tremendously motivated to solve homelessness and to solve economic issues, uh, jobs and, and housing. More people are leaving that are, that are what I would call my demographic than able to stay. And that's a problem. It's, it's, too expensive to live here. Um, and I, and I, have, I have some solutions. I have some ideas. Let me ask you, now that you're talking about, you know, having an idea, and um, there will be some cynical people out there who would say, you want to solve homelessness, but Salinas doesn't really show like he's done a very good job at solving the homelessness issue. So I guess the question is, what makes you qualified for the position, being that Salinas is not doing a good job with homelessness so far? Well, everybody has their opinion. And some would look at the situation and say, oh, it's horrible. You know, you've done nothing right. You know, you are horrible. You are the problem. I want a, I want a new government. Uh, others would say, look a little deeper uh, before you judge. Uh, we have we have done more than any other city on the Central Coast. Uh, I'm extremely proud of Moongate Plaza. It's a one-of-a-kind where 88 people were immediately taken off the street and put into wraparound services, where multiple nonprofits engaged in medical, mental, job training, hiring, uh, were, were ultimately surrounding these 88 people and 
aiding them to get off the street. So that's Moongate Plaza. That's right in the heart of Chinatown. The city of Salinas is the only city in Monterey County that's funded a homeless shelter, uh, full-time open to everyone. Now, because there are programs where it's youth or women and children only, and there's CDBG funds given out here or there. Salinas was the first to lead on this and continues to lead as a partner in the development of a permanent shelter off Laurel. I'm especially excited about a project that you may have heard about off of Work Street called It's the Goodnight Inn. And, and this is 101 units that, again, transitional. So this isn't a shelter. These are people that want to get off the street, are aided with wraparound services, and offered the opportunity for reemployment and independent living. So, so it's, it's, it's a complex issue. And when you have a city with so many homeless, I mean, it's doubled in six or eight years by my observation, you know, something needs to be done. And, and, and Claudia, to, to the crux of the issue, homelessness by design is a county issue. And, you know, it's easy to point the finger at King City or Seaside or Salinas and say, well, you take care of your problem. The county's in a real position to lead on this. And I'm not saying they're doing nothing, but the problem's gotten worse and I'm ready. I'm ready to tackle this. Uh, and, and I, and I've got more I could expand on. And I'm happy to. Well, some, there is some house or a substantial amount of housing going in, in Fort Ord. And, but a lot of it is kind of single family housing, kind of a little bit expensive, for people a in lot this area. a bit of expensive <laughs> yeah exactly well how, how can can some of that land in fort or be used to to make how because i just keep thinking the more and more of this happens like am i eventually gonna have to move salinas underground podcast to solidad <laughs> or king city or even or out Madera? of monterey county yeah. exactly so private property rights in this country are sacred uh, I mean, go back all the way to the, the the Tea Party Revolution and, you know, when the country was founded. Private property rights are sacred in this country. And until we have a new form of government, they're going to continue to be sacred. And I bring this up because local government, whether it's the city of Marina or whether it's the county of Monterey, has general plans and puts in place agreements with people that develop housing. And in the case of Marina, the developments we're seeing today were brokered 15, 20, or more years ago. So many, many, many years ago when Fort Ord was chopped up, Fort Ord went away. And over the years, the ownership of those developments has changed hands. And in that time, as cool as we want tiny homes and ADUs and smaller, more affordable units and or apartments to be developed, the way things are structured it's just not incentivized. Uh, and this is one of my greatest frustrations. And as a council member, I've taken action firsthand to change. Uh, inclusionary housing is something I'm very proud of, where we set aside units within a new, a new development, right? Not one that's already been approved, but a new development for five categories of individual families. So there's low income, very low income, extremely low income. There is workforce housing, but even beyond that, incentives for accessory dwelling units, which is all the rage right now, certainly in those communities that have water, where fees are waived, where there's a fast track, if you will, to, hey, I'm willing to build a second unit in the back. And even more so, if you're willing to build a second unit in the back and it's able to be declared for affordable 
uh, or a low income sort of status in permanent uh, perpetuity. Some 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 communities have have offered that. Seaside's a great example. Seaside's dangling water credits and and even fees if you're willing to do that. And you know then you open up the question of well I already have like. 20 million cars on my street. So, you know, what's another five if you're going to build a unit in the back? I mean, that's a whole nother can of worms. But but as a council member, you know, these are all policies I've ushered in. And for developments in the future, Oz, we need to consider smaller. We need to consider building up. We need to consider transit-oriented development. I'm very proud of our downtown overlay district. I mean, I've spent a decade of my life bringing in all sorts of investments to our downtown. Whether people love them or whether people hate them, the idea that you could live downtown, work downtown, and take a bus or a train somewhere to visit friends, visit family, or even work if you're out of the area, all cool. And I'll tell you, if there's one mission that I'm never going to give up on, it's that we have a supermarket or a neighborhood food market in downtown Salinas. And I can't speak to it, but I can say it's being worked on now. And and it may take years, it may take years, but I'll tell you, it's not something I'm giving up on. Because this idea that we could live, work, and play you know, in a city center by design goes back thousands of years. And it makes sense from a carbon footprint, from a wellness and a quality of life. Um, I could go on and on. You can tell I'm passionate about that concept. You sound excited about it for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, let me ask you something that is not really related to housing, but maybe it is relatively speaking. Um, how do you feel about the way the county has dealt with, with the pandemic? Hmm. Housing? Pandemic. No, no. I mean, I, uh, well, see, yeah. a lot of people, especially in the Latino community, uh, got COVID because of um, living in crowded conditions. So that's okay. why I was thinking um, about COVID yeah, pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, keep in mind, you know, from the federal perspective, the way that the county's chopped up, it's by census tract. We got the census going on, so it's on everybody's mind. And there are census tracts in Salinas that have a higher density than Manhattan. So it's true. We have so many people living in overcrowded conditions, renting rooms, families at a time. And it's not just Salinas, Claudia. It's also Seaside. I mean, I've walked Seaside. I've spoken with voters. And there'll be a list 20 people long at one address. And as I've also spoken with and, and I'm friends with people that worked during the census, they'll confirm that it's a very, very challenging environment uh, for for individuals that work in hospitality or work in agriculture, and it's inhumane. It's a social justice issue. And to get to the crux of it, we need more units. So how do we solve that? Well, the first thing we do is we address farm worker housing, because quite frankly, a human being is a human being. And even if they're here undocumented, they're just as likely to get COVID. And they're they're here, like they count. And one of the greatest challenges is farm worker housing is amongst some of the most inhumane and worst in the county. Most people don't even know about the conditions. And so by inviting employers, labor contractors to develop and own those housing units is a good thing. And so Tanimer and Antle was the first and biggest development that people maybe knew about. There's another couple that the city of Salinas has taken the lead on bringing on board at Davis and Rossi, there's another one. There's another one in Baranda. You know, even if they're smaller developments, say 30, 40 units at a time, when those farm workers come out of 16 people to a home to 
say, two or four to a unit, now all of a sudden they're in better living environments and those units that they vacated become available to other folks. So that that's some of the low-hanging fruit. And the city of Salinas took a leadership role in a farm worker housing study that we deployed oh, probably three years ago. And United Way was involved. The county was involved, but City of Salinas paid the lion's share. And this was a blueprint that not only applied to Salinas, but countywide. Beyond that, though, it's absolutely crazy the kind of conditions that people are living in. And five years ago, maybe six now, the City of Salinas did not have a fully staffed code enforcement department because it starts with code enforcement. Somebody's got to knock on that door and say, you know what? We've had a report that somebody's living in the garage next to a water heater in a bunk bed, right? Exposed to noxious fumes, possibly in a situation where they could die. And it's happened. Fires, shocks, you name it. And uh, flooding, I think, is another instance I've heard of. So we, we, we fully staffed our code enforcement. We made that a priority and began the process of, you know, shaking down those units that endanger people's lives. So that, that process started. But with COVID, wow, more attention than ever. National news has shined light on these living environments and why two zip codes have just been rampant with COVID. And I'll, I'll say one last thing and maybe we transition, but, but I'll say that my conversations with leadership in COPA will tell you that the single greatest problem with the county is they have not done the track and trace. They're days behind. They are not making that contact so that if a case is uh, affirmed to be positive at a certain location, by the time the county catches up, on the track and trace, that person has exposed dozens, if not many, 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 many people at work or in the community. And, and that's, that's, that's a big part of the, of the problem, uh, the track and trace. So, you know, there's also, as you're well aware, and we've talked about in previous conversations, Claudia, language barriers, cultural barriers. I mean, you can spend any amount of time uh, in, in certain communities and, and the mask I'm holding is just not socially acceptable. Uh, and that, so that continues to be a problem. I, I have to compliment Supervisor Luis Alejo, Supervisor Chris Lopez. Both of them have prioritized very targeted media uh, advertisements um, using stars. I mean, I've seen people from Guadalajara and, you know, Mexico City that have come to Monterey County to record commercials and public, uh, you know, advertisements to, to keep people safe uh, to to make it culturally acceptable to to mask up and so I think there's there's a lot of that but isn't that a little bit of like doing like laying the shifting the blame to you know person of course personal responsibility is important oh, right of course and I know question. that that the mask wearing has gone up uh, in the 93905 mm -hmm. um, as of late but I mean really this is a this is a public health issue that needs some public very public health coordinated efforts so and I think you probably addressed you addressed it with the comment about um the tracing the contact tracing that is probably shifting now and is a way to get to to tamp it down you know it's easy for me as a candidate to say oh the county of monterey and you know the health health department's done a crummy job you know uh they're under 
uh, a moving target a little bit there, you know, whether it's the state, you know, I mean, the state just weeks ago completely changed their guidelines, you know, and so the county had to pivot. We are understaffed. Um, you know, there's exposure risk to staff members and not, not only county staff members, but, you know, nonprofit partners as well. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's tremendously challenging. But I think to get back to your point of housing and risk, you know, COVID-19 has further uncovered a housing crisis. And it's like, there's just been not, no leadership at the county level on this topic. Um, you know, I, 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 it's gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better. And in the city of Salinas, as a council member, uh, I, I've been very involved in inclusionary housing, market rate housing that's smaller and three, four stories high, homeless, transitionary housing. So tremendous energy and passion on my part is committed to our most vulnerable, our our lowest income, and, and our guest worker um, undocumented communities that I think isn't just a Salinas issue. I mean, it's an issue in Salinas, but it's also an issue in Seaside. It's an issue in Marina. It's certainly an issue in South County. And I'd argue it's even an issue in cities like Monterey and Pacific Grove and Carmel Valley. Um, you know, so the sooner we coordinate on these things, um, I think the sooner, the sooner we succeed. Yeah. And I don't want to keep hammering this housing question. I would definitely want to move on to a different topic, but obviously it's very important in this area. Mm. And I also want to be quite careful how I, I word this because the going back to the, that uh, housing being built for farm workers you mentioned that project here on Rossi. Mm-hmm. Um, from my understanding, that's ultimately going to be 1,200 units, which, which is uh, amazing. Mm-hmm. And and like I've said before, I definitely am not against farm worker housing or building better housing for our farm workers. But it's so interesting that as just a regular citizen, I would consider yeah. myself of Salinas, sure. um, just that one project has 1,200 units. And from, from a quick research i did it it seems that the city as a whole since 2015 has only approved less than 600 units of what would be affordable housing just in general you know not not specific for farm workers so my question is why does it seem so much more difficult to get uh affordable housing built for like you know what teacher what blue collar i guess type type job versus for farm workers. It seems sure. like at the snap of a finger, 1,200 units are going up on the edge of town, which if you go back 15 years, that was supposed to be a huge uh, business park that was mm, going to attract a, a, few, a lot yeah. of... Um, and and again, I'm definitely not saying, ah, don't build that housing. You know, Of course, we need better housing for mm-hmm. our farm workers. Farm, farm work is so... You know, it's such part of our fabric here in Monterey County. So I'm definitely not saying, hey, stop these constructions. But my my curiosity is, is why does it why is it so hard to get, you know, a five story apartment sure. building for somebody like me that works in a small manufacturing company versus, you know, twelve hundred units for farm workers? Yeah. So there's two things. One, you know, by definition, are units in the county? Are they in the city? Are they farm worker? Is it guest worker? Is it, um, you know, is it something that's been converted, which has happened hotels like, like the, like the, the 
homeless transitionary housing that, that's being proposed off Work Street. So it's yeah, there, there's a lot more to it um, just because some of the definitions and such. Yeah. But here's what I would say: you know, when a developer comes in to build housing, whether it's a huge house or a small house, they pay the same amount of fees generally. I mean, there, there's some there's some fees that slide, but but a lot of the fees are regardless of size. So if you're going to develop 10 units, you make more money if you develop 10 big units, right? You can sell 10 things for a million dollars, or you can sell 10 things for a hundred thousand dollars. Well, it doesn't take a MBA out of Stanford to say, oh, well, I'll sell the 10 things for a million dollars. So here's where we need to reform. And this is beginning to happen at local government. But here's the thing, a lot of local governments, and I'll use some of the peninsula cities, well, they don't want low income. They'd rather that be in Salinas, right? You know what I mean? Like, it's not always that balance between jobs and housing. And that's a whole nother can of worms. And we can address that if you'd like later. But the bottom line is, so cities need to get on board with fees that are reduced for a smaller project. And here's the thing. If we want more affordable units, if we want more smaller units, well, let's incentivize that. You know, one of my proposals as a candidate for county supervisor is to set up a fee bank. So a bunch of credits, a bunch of money in a, in a bank. And we say to developers like, hey, if you build these types of units, we'll give you the money to apply towards the fees. Because now all the units are out in the community and the community benefits and, you know, people are in safer living conditions and they don't have to move to Madeira, you know? So, so a fee bank is something that some cities, uh, Sunnyvale's one, for example, that, that have, that have put in place that, that works. You know, I, I recently had a conversation with former Congressman Sam Farr and here's a guy that, you know, put in decades into public service. And he's like, you know, the coolest job is local government. Like as a council member or a supervisor, you have those levers to pull where all of a sudden you can adjust fees or incentivize, you know, things to, to develop and deliver on, you know, some call them tiny homes, but a two or three or 400 square foot home, as opposed to a three or 4,000 square foot home, you know, a million dollars versus 150 or 200. I mean, people, you look back to when Seaside was developed and those lots, I mean, it's tight and the units are small. Even here in Salinas, my wife and I, we live in a 1300 square foot house. We are a family of four. We're comfortable. You know, um, there's other people that live in other parts of the county, even new developments where it's like a family of four and 3,000 square feet, you know, or 2,500 square feet. It's like, wow, who do, who cleans the place? So, you know, it's definitely a commitment of mine to work regionally on incentivizing those types of developments. And, you know, I think as, as your listeners may have listened to me and my opponent in this race for supervisor, there's a lot of things we agree on. Um, you know, there, there is a coolness factor to city-centered growth. And, and I'm, we're sitting in it right now. I mean, some people would say, well, you could have done this differently or you could have done that differently. But the reality of it is downtown Salinas is much different than it was 10 years ago. And it's going to be even more different in a couple of years mm -hmm. because yeah. of what we're doing with the Bruin and the neighborhood market we've been talking about a little bit, you know, the idea that now the Bank is going to have 53 units, smaller units for 500 square feet, one bedroom, 
two bedroom studio. You know, now we're talking rents that are a thousand bucks and you're living downtown. You can, you know, you can hit dubbers. You can get on the train to go up to San Francisco. You know, there, there's, this is the kind of, of thing that, that Salinas can and, and is doing. Well, and sorry, Claudia, I know we try to go back and forth here, but mm. you just mentioned something that, that to me, <laughs> people are going to think I'm crazy because I keep bringing it up. They already do. The train. Just kidding. <laughs> the, tra- yeah. oh. the train. The train to me, like you said, yeah, it, it to me as a citizen of Salinas and uh, you see the Quakes flag there. I'm a San Jose earthquake season ticket We have ticket season holder. tickets as well. I, 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 yeah, I know. I, yeah. I love the fact that, that within <laughs> a decade, possibly, I'll be able to hop on a train, go to a San Jose earthquakes game and hop on a train and come right back to yep. Salinas again here in the downtown that's nice but also is how can a citizen of salinas be reassured that that's not the beginning of gentrification, gentrification. The dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> you know they uh, mm. a lot of silicon valley residents are being priced out of that area well how about remote working <laughs> well exactly that's what i'm saying is is nowadays you can say okay it'll take I was looking at the timetables uh, provided by Tamsi of of what the the service would be like. It, it would be a, about two two and a half hours from Salinas to San Francisco. Mm. Um, but with this remote working, I'm sure these trains are going to be hooked up with Wi Fi, and even the the train station that is being completely remodeled, I'm sure, is going to have beautiful, wonderful Wi Fi connections. So those two hours are going to be essentially work hours. Mm. So I'm thinking, okay, I cannot afford Sunnyvale or Mountain View or San Jose, but Salinas is all of a sudden attractive. Mm-hmm. And I see the developments going on in Fort Ord. I see what's, what will eventually become the West area specific plan, the central area. Specific or out by the plan. airport. How about the live work ag tech complex that we're putting out at the airport? That That's huge. Yeah. And that w- yeah. is all fine and great. But again, I'm saying, I'm thinking as a citizen of, citizen of Salinas, where do I fit in? Sure, How sure. can I be, again, this is all cool, but is this all going to be for other people? Mm. I mean, you see, you see what, you know, Brooklyn and Oakland and all these other cities that, you know, were taken over, quote unquote. I mean, I'm not trying to vilify, you know, people moving into other areas. People, people, but go it's a real concern for yeah. sure. You know, yeah. it happened to San Francisco, the mission district, and we don't yeah. want that to happen to us. Basically, right? oh. yeah, I'm saying, yeah. how how can you offer some reassurances to somebody like me that that is that is saying yes, this train is going to be great yeah. in that we can take day trips now to the Bay Area, but also this opens us up to potentially being priced out of home. This is all I know. So local government, I believe local government has the responsibility for housing jobs balance. Local government has the responsibility for aiding the private sector to match the, the, the values of the local community and develop local jobs, local talent so that we can compete against that. That's, that's where ag tech came from. The 53 startups that have come out of the Western Growers Center for ag tech and innovation. I mean, you, you've interviewed these people. I mean, you've done such work there. Podcaster. Yeah, Yeah, man. So you know that. And I just, I'll I'll go further to, you know, the work that you do by day, Claudia, uh, with Alisal Union School District. I mean, your best and brightest and up and coming next generation of students, exposing them 
to the first T, exposing them to technology and digital nest. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, the, the city of Salinas has not turned a blind eye on this. Like we have a pipeline to develop so that our local young people are ready to compete in that. Oz. Like yeah. it's, it's hard. Like, and, and the better prepared we are to push back and grow locally startups, people that are trained in something beyond just picking raspberries, you know, it, it, it suits us better and stronger. And, and Salinas can be something better as a result, you know, to the tune though, that you're, you're, you're bringing up that, you know, there are people left behind. It's, it's scary. That's where yeah. we see a growing housing, uh, excuse me, homelessness problem. And, and this is where regionally we can work on it. Like one of the coolest boards that I've been able to be a part of for 10 years is the, and this is going to be one of those, oh, what the heck is that? Association of Monterey Bay Area Governments. Oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, some people know about yeah. it, but okay. ABAG, the uh, Bay Area ABAG, and there's, yeah, there's a bunch of them. But I mean, I chair that board and I've been on the executive board for 10 years. And I'm really passionate about this idea that we can plan for jobs and housing in balance. But more importantly, development of local economy uh, and opportunities that that par or pair with our local values. You know, I'm going to use, um, you know, there's a uh, Joe B aviation out in Marina yes. and, you know, I, I've talked to Joe Ben um, and, and their staff. I've been out to the facility. It's been a rough road, you know, and, and this is the type of thing where I'd be like, Oh my gosh, you are going to hire skilled young people that you will train to your specifications to the tune of hundreds, if not more than a thousand jobs at greater than $25 or even $35 an hour, I'm ready to jump up and down. Like, what can we do? Yeah. You know, and this is where the county or the region is tasked with that sort of planning. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate, but the county doesn't have a very robust economic development um, focus. Or, or how do I want to put it? Like, there isn't a, there, I mean, we used to have an economic development director. We used to have a whole unit. And, and as it's been harder to make ends meet in local government. I mean, the cost of local government's gone up and I can, mm -hmm. I can elaborate on that and why, you know, benefits, pension obligations, et cetera. Oh, CalPERS. We've had, exactly, <laughs> we've, we've had to cut back. And one of the things that, that the current administration cut was economic development. And yeah. I think there's different ways to skin a cat, but if we're not focused as a local government on economic development opportunity, the problem you're raising as a, to gentrification is going to just get worse. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Hey, you mentioned something earlier, and I'm going to try to make it clear this time so not to jump from one thing to another and yeah. it makes it sound really big. Um, you mentioned that you like to listen to constituents' concerns oh. and do, and, and you know, do try to, to, <laughs> yeah. to do things according to what they, they mm -hmm. ask. And, you know, there has been maybe from a lot of young people, a lot of calls to shift perhaps resources, to shift resources from the police department to fund different types of safety. Sure. Um, and along those lines, uh, there's a program in Eugene, Oregon called Cahoots that uses some funding to have these teams respond to emergency calls that perhaps uh, 
would not be necessary to have a police officer show up, mm-hmm. like maybe a drunk person or a mental sure. health sure, issue sure. that would not necessary would not necessitate an armed person to show up, right? Yeah. And so there's a propo- that I mean there's a program that exists there in Eugene, Oregon. Most of Monterey Bay put together a plan mm-hmm. that kind of tailored after cahoots. We we call it React. And I'm wondering if you heard about it and if this is something that you'd be interested in exploring further. Yes, I have heard of it. And Joe Livernoy sent it to me and I passed it on. I, I think the rest of my colleagues also saw it. I'm not sure, but I, I passed it on to our city manager. He's unfortunately leaving, <laughs> uh, but it makes sense from a lot of perspectives to be proactive. It, you know, unfortunately, local government, certainly as I've observed it, has become much more reactive than proactive. There are some units that that are proactive. A lot of times it's a it's a pilot project, but just because of limited funding and limited resources, we've had to limit ourselves to being reactive. Cahoots and you know the program that Joe had advocated for and is advocating for, you know, says, wait a second, you know, it's expensive to send a police officer to a call. It is. I mean, our our hourly rate for police and fire is through the roof. So if there's something else that can be called on to safely disarm or to address, you know, then why not? Um, you know, I'll use an example. I was recently uh, in on Amador Street in Seaside and an officer pulled up behind me and we started talking. And we talked about, you know, just this idea that, you know, resources could be looked at differently, so on and so forth. And I'll, and I'll point out two things. One, first of all, he said, nobody approached me or us as officers to see how we feel about new ways of addressing, say, nonviolent or non-threatening or mental calls for service. You know, many people just sort of looked at what happened in Minneapolis, jumped into the fire and said, well, Seaside's going to cut its police department by 25%, which immediately alienated all the law enforcement and caused this huge divide where you have two sets of people carrying flags saying, don't tread on me, right? And and that doesn't help decision-making, right? In, In this officer's case, he said to me, more than half of the calls he goes on involves some sort of mental illness. And he, then he looked at me, he said, you know how much mental illness training or mental health training I've had? Zero. So, and then he, then he went on to say, we'll take it. Like, are you kidding me? It's dangerous for us. It's very unnerving. And, and now you got people with cameras and video. And, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, there's officers that, that you know, go on out on workman's comp. I mean, it's just a, a huge mess. So to your point, there are some great examples locally. I'll use the city of Watsonville, for example. Volunteers in public safety, where these are community members that either are dispatched to communities that have had or are prone to violent crime or violent uh, violence intervention needs. And, uh, you know, as a result, you know, when someone is... is uh, injured or, or there's a violent crime, these individuals are able to, to come in and help, you know, the healing and the, the healing process. Because if you've ever been ripped off or if you have friends that, that have been victims of violent crime, you know, it's a very troubling, very troubling, devastating process. And, you know, the same officer said to me, he's like, let me just play this out for you. So if somebody's near homeless and there's a domestic or there's some issue where it's a mental related issue and they get called out, hauled to the jail, 
or even to the hospital for one reason or another, say it's a 5150, he's like, their lives are really, really upended. You know, if they were on the verge of, you know, ending up on the street, well, guess what? Now they do end up on the street and the situation gets worse and it costs taxpayers a whole heck of a lot more. So this is a great example where regional regional conversations that don't involve people digging their feet in the sand um, you know, are needed. And, and I say that, like here, I brought my campaign brochure, right? Mm-hmm. And I tell the people this on doorsteps. I say, look at who's endorsed me. I've got the United Farm Workers and the Farm Bureau. I've got the Teamsters and Monterey County Hospitality. Like there's some unlikely bedfellows here. And it's not because of some rich fat cat that wants something done. It's not because of some dark curtain or, you know, I wouldn't be out giving up 20 months plus of my life if I didn't believe we could do better and that we're going to do better by getting people to work together. You know, that's been my specialty as a council member. Um, I've had to learn that, you know, I mean, you saw me in my youth. I saw you in your youth too, Claudia. You know, what are you talking about? I'm still very young. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I've been at this a long time and I'd like to think that, you know, I'm loaded with mistakes. I've said things or done things that I could have done better. I mean, I'm the first to admit that. Um, and, and I, and I want to do better. And that, that's why I say, you know, working together on things like, public safety because it is the lion's share of local government's budget. I mean, that's why people are like, well, cut it, cut it, cut it. And they, you know, maybe the terminology um, is what's infuriated people. I mean, I don't know, but um, you know, the officers I know and the police officer associations that are out there, they're, they want to do a better job. They want to, they want the best results and it, people just, they won't, there isn't that dialogue taking place right now. You're right. And I, yeah. I think that you're absolutely right. I don't think the dialogue is, is happening. I think that we should not, nobody should assume, I don't think I assume it, that when we say let's let's shift some resources, people should say we want to eliminate police department because that's unrealistic. We don't, we yeah. don't want, nobody wants that. I what if they we said we want to help the police? You know what I mean? I, they probably would never, that would never come across. But like, what if it was like, hey, we want to make your job easier. Like we want to... uh, supplement what's taking place with people that have the specialties in, in mental health. And, you know, just so much of it is, is community, you know, yeah, we could open up a huge can of worms. It is a huge can of worms. And, and and we, yeah, so I'm not even going to go there. Yeah. But well, I but we, I we should at some point because yeah. I think it's a conversation worth having. But it's a regional I do believe it's a regional conversation. This is where a supervisor could play well, regional leadership. You yes, know? yes and no. Gosh. I mean because you know, because Salinas spends half of its budget on the on the on the police. More. Department. Well, I was gonna say public safety because well, I mean fire too. I talked to our firefighters. Half more than half of their calls are people that are either homeless or near homeless, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a whole, I mean, yeah. That's been my big thing with this whole shifting the budgets. I'm like, I don't care if 45% of the budget went to the Department of Happiness and Puppies. I would still have questions as to why so much money oh, was sure. going there. And I love it when he says that Department of Happiness and Puppies is like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I like that department. <laughs> I guess it was still 45%. Well, speaking the kind of along the, the budget and, and things mm-hmm. like that, um, yes, the, the, Salinas has obvious, very public you know, budget issues. And COVID is definitely not mm. helping any of that. To me, what I find interesting, or my question is, every year it seems that uh, the ag commissioner, Norm Groot, 
will come out and be like with his report and say, hey, this year the ag industry brought in nine point whatever billion mm. dollars. And it's, it's a, not saying those numbers are made up. Um, I fully believe that they are that those are 100% true numbers. But how can Salinas be the capital of this and still have all these financial struggles? Sure. God, that's a bigger question. Uh, but the quick answer is Norm Group is with the Farm Bureau. Okay, so he's not and the I don't ag mean commissioner. To call him that, out that's or okay. He just happens. No, to, but he yeah. represents growers, yeah. and you know, it's actually when you think about everything: cooling, trucking, processing. You know, all of the related industries. It, it's it's probably more than nine billion. I mean, yeah. the, just the growing piece. Let's talk about that for a second because that's the biggest one, uh, and it is probably four, maybe even five billion farm gate sales. So that's artichokes, lettuce, strawberries, every farming operation and all of those commodities, even beef, because we have beef cattle yeah. in Monterey County, all added together. Um, you know, one of the things we enjoy in this country is very, very inexpensive food. It's just how we set it up. I mean, our actually it was generations ago. And, and it was just was this idea that, well, food for so many people in the world is a much higher percent of their disposable income. I mean, much higher. There's countries where people are spending 30, 40% of their money on their meal. Uh, I mean, food insecurity in the globe is, is a much bigger deal than, than say it is in Salinas. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bigger conversation there as to how it was produced, how it was transported, whether or not there was GMO crops used and all of those sorts of things. I get it. But at the end of the day, the margin in much of our food is very thin, very, very thin. So when you take a slug of milk or when you grab a bag salad or when you eat some asparagus, there just isn't a lot of margin in that. And as a result, you know, these companies uh, and these family farms are working on very, very thin margins and they're having to do so with very, very low costs of inputs, you know, particularly when it comes to labor. I mean, that's why, you know, your average agricultural workers paid 16, maybe $17 an hour. You know, maybe, maybe it's more, maybe it's less. It, that's, that's just based on what I know. And, you know, and it's, and it's not every day. Um, you know what I mean? Because there's a season yeah. and if you're not willing to move to El Centro or to Yuma, well, then all of a sudden you go on unemployment, uh, you know, and, and, and then you're on even more limited means. So it, there are some countries out there that have had a deeper, more robust conversation around this. Uh, the Netherlands is a good example. If you look at the Netherlands, um, their average wage for a farm worker is much, much higher, but they're college educated and they have tremendous mechanization. I mean, we're talking maybe nine or 10 people working to operate 100,000 square feet of you know, greenhouse grown peppers. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it's it's unfathomable. You know, you could look at the Netherlands from a satellite at night, and you'll see it lit up like a Christmas tree because they've got grow lights and indoor agriculture going. You know, this is a much bigger conversation and something I would yeah. love to dig in yeah. with your other podcasts. But you know, Salinas is is playing with how do we get an average wage that's higher. And ultimately, a more skilled workforce. I mean, look at a Romaine crew. A Romaine crew is half the size it was 10 years ago, right? And it's because they're paying more 
and there's more mechanization. Or look at thinning. You know, we're talking Caesar Chavez here when hoeing, you know, some of the, some of the physical labor that went into backbreaking, you know, and to some extent, you know, injury and illness and wellness problems, you know, there's legislation for this stuff, right? Now mechanical thinning is more prevalent than hoeing and thinning crews. So you see crews out there, you know, it's like, wow, well, maybe that's a thing of the past, right? Because now you have three people doing the job of what, say, 20 or more would have done. Yeah. So this is that ag tech. This is Hartnell College, Alisal Union School District, Digital Nest, Western Growers for Center for Innovation, like thinking hard and fast at how do we, how do we solve these problems so that our workforce is more skilled, higher paid, and there's all this room for entrepreneurship. You know, Brad Barbaro at CSU MB has a whole unit around startups. How do we capture students from CSU MB? How do we capture students from Hartnell College so that they can have startup seed funding and take their cool idea to solve these problems? You know, 50% of the most groundbreaking innovation in the last 100 years done by people under 30. So your listeners have that ability and, and we're, we're ready. I mean, I'm an old guy by now, you know, I'm 46, you know, <laughs> dude, shout out to Brad Barbo. He was one of my mentors and I've, I've entered the biz, startup business competition <laughs> yeah. that they've put on and it, it's amazing. It's yep, free for sure. And it big reason why we're here sitting in the studio right now. So shout out yeah. to Brad. Yeah, right on. So let me shift gears again a little bit here. And I just heard that you've raised $800,000 to run a new race. Um, and, and if, and is that, um, so one of the, do you think that's a lot? Is that enough? And does that make you, um, more accountable to your donors? Gosh. So good question. I think. So just for those listening, when you run for public office, whether it's dog catcher or Congress or state Senate, you know, you need to go reach voters and depending on how big it is or, you know, how much time you have to do it in, you are either, you're either actually on TV, which is expensive. You're sending out mail or printing things like this brochure that I shared with you guys, you know, and so on and so forth. So without question, this race has been so expensive. First of all, take into account that it started, at least for me, in December of 2018. So I've been campaigning for 23 months, 22 months. And, and, and I, so is my opponent. In fact, there were, gosh, two other opponents in the primary. So a lot of money's come in. And in fact, you must be we, exhausted. Uh, I'm ready to do it again. I, this has been a privilege. This has been incredible. Um, it's been a really good race. Um, it's been a pleasure running with Miss Askew. It's been a pleasure running with Mr. Miller, Miss Chambliss. I have learned so much. I thought I, I had some grasp of the challenges and how serious they are. It's even more serious than I thought. But back to fundraising. So I've had to spend tremendous time. Like I have gone back to preschool practically and hit up people to help donate to my campaign. I have had so many coffees and so many fundraisers. It's not even funny. I, I would say it's probably north of 60. So a lot. I had one yesterday in Seaside. It was a drive-through barbecue fundraiser. And we, we had 91 people come through and pick up tri-tip and chicken and local vegetables and a bunt cake. And I mean, it was, it was very successful and I'm going to do, I'm going to continue to do these things. So we've had over 2,200 contributions. So there's a lot. I mean, when you're going to be serious about running for office, you have to 
you have to let every single last person you know say, hey, do you believe in me? Do you believe in my ideas? And it's funny because, you know, from from the dark web or from people that sometimes, honestly, they, they're probably the same people that think Salinas isn't doing anything about homelessness. The planet's getting hot. We're all going to hell. You know, I mean, there's a lot of haters out there. Yeah. I mean, and I have to sit there on their doorstep and say, you know what? There is something positive. You know, let me share with you a few of the stories that, that I, that I personally have been involved in. And, and, and sometimes it, it you know, so to both of us, because, you know, people are going to look at both financial records and say, oh my gosh, like this race has cost $800,000. Yeah, Mike, well, it's taken two years, A. B, we have both worked our tails off. We've been working really hard. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into that. You know, it's, it's, yeah, and honestly, I mean, I've been at this for 15 years, just about in elected office. And I, I, I don't believe it. I don't buy it that somebody owns me. Like I've worked so hard and I am my own person with a voting record and promises that are in writing and on the web. And, you know, there's still going to be people out there that be like, well, lies, lies. This whole country's full of lies. You're all liars. Ah, get off my grass. Okay. Thank you. My phone number's on the brochure. Call if you have any questions. And then they probably will and say, I've got this problem with my tree. Um, there's squirrels living in it and I need your help and I'll call them back. I do that. I do that as a council member. I'll do that as a gardener and a landscape guy. I wouldn't be here at this podcast and I wouldn't be running if I didn't love it. And if I didn't see the positive in our County and the need for leadership on things like housing, homelessness, water, jobs, all the issues that you guys have laid out. Um, and I, and I tend to be collaborative. Hey, let's sit down. Let's find some common ground, you know? Um, yeah, I, I love a hater. I'm ready. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. Can you th- think of a moment on the council when you kind of went a- had to go against somebody that originally was like, hey, I thought like we were on my side, but oh, you sure. were like. Oh, mm-hmm. sure, sure. Yeah. Styrofoam, the ban on styrofoam. I was the, the deciding vote. The bag, uh, the plastic bag ban. You know, I was the deciding vote. Recently, there was a decision that Monterey Bay Community Power had to make to basically, basically rescind any sort of credit that we would get for nuclear power being a non-carbon source of energy, and it was a huge cost to the organization. There was tons of you know, oh, controversy on both sides of that. And, you know, that was the right thing to do. You know, the organization was was founded on environmental principles and benefit. And uh, I don't look back on it. Um, you know, you almost want somebody that you're going to be ticked off once in a while. <laughs> you know, then they're getting something done. You know what I mean? And I tell people that. I'm like, there's a reason why I have support from, you know, both sides. There's a reason why, you know, the United Farm Workers... And the Farm Bureau are both supporting me. I mean, that might be a first in the county. It's because I work with everybody. Return the call. You know, my mom taught me that when I was young. She's like, return every call. Um, you know, so, you know, just just being proactive, trying to find bridges and, and having a good time too, you know? Nobody will ever, ever fault you for not having a good time <laughs> and not being fun, entertainment, entertaining. I remember recently mm-hmm. we went to, I went to that, uh, 
the auction at the um oh, for the library the, the library auction <laughs> yeah the foundation for yeah, monterey county free libraries it was like oh my gosh yeah of course well and i'm passionate about our library system you know yes i i set up a sister city in turkey uh these turkish leaders uh from the city government of the city of soke came they stayed with me they visited uh you know salinas they were here for like 10 days uh, it's a great kspw interview if you like Google like Soke, it's S-O-K-E, Turkey, Salinas, sister city. Um, Haluk is a dear friend. And anyhow, long story short, they were so intrigued by our Cesar Chavez library. They were like, not in Soke. Like our library is quiet. It's like a library out of the 50s, right? You check out books. They're like, we need this. So we sent plans. We sent all of the planning documents to them. And lo and behold, I went to Turkey in 2004. 16, I think it was 2017, to, to officiate and get the sister city set up. And one of the benefits of the sister city was to, to gain a library that, that they actually called the Cesar Chavez library, which I thought was so cool. They, they misspelled it, but it was cool. <laughs> oh, uh, wow. but, but still, um, to, to set up a library around something much more than just access to, to books, um, yeah. you know, where there's learning and language learning and, you know, a place to, to get out of a crowded home. Right. I mean, Soke, Turkey is much like Salinas, where there's overcrowding and a lot of immigrant, undocumented immigrants yeah. out of Syria. Uh, it's, it's, that's a whole nother uh, right. can of worms, but um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you know, that, that library. library um, every time you mention the Cesar Chavez Library, I think about Elizabeth Martinez and yeah. what a great force of goodness she yeah. was because she she made that library happen. That's right. So that's that's awesome. right. What books have shaped who you are? You're thinking. Oh my gosh! Yeah, East of Eden. Uh, you know Steinbeck. It's really interesting how when you look at the fabric of your life and where things came from, um, you know. God, to get a little bit geeky for you uh, for a second, and I and I know that there's some literature stuff there. You know, gosh, the the great authors today, so many of them are on this like university collegiate circuit to get published, and they're surrounded by trustees and the president of some prestigious university. You know, Steinbeck was one of those last authors that was kind of a self-made man. You know what I mean? Um, there, there was a whole bunch of them that didn't have to have that university prestige to them. And uh, there's just a real authenticity there. Um, and so I really, I really loved his works through high school and into college. And then to land here, you know, uh, it's so cool. I, I've always loved the, there, you know, Susan Schillinglaw, um, she was at my wedding, actually. And we, my wife and I got married at the Steinbeck Center. I don't know if people know that. And we had a Steinbeck wedding. We, we actually had our rehearsal dinner at the Steinbeck house. Um, you know, and, and, I've, and I've always done what I could to kind of, because Steinbeck is one of our major draws when it comes to tourism in Salinas. People come from all over the world to just, you know, see his birthplace and, you know, experience it. And he was so controversial at the time, you know, I mean, you just, you dig into the history and his works. And um, so I think, I think that that's, that's kind of what comes to mind right away, just because of where we are. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, we're wrapping, we're getting to the top of the hour. So yeah. mm. no, and I'm a big, uh, yeah, big Steinbeck fan. When we started this 
I did a history of 200 years of Selena's history. Mm. And my co-host who does our movie podcast was like, wait, so like how famous is Steinbeck? Like <laughs> to a Hemingway or whatever. I'm like, dude, he's right up there. Oh, like, yeah, for sure. If you Google yep. best books of the 20th century, there's going to be a Steinbeck book Without in the top question. 10 of every yep. everyone. He was that big. He of an is. Impact that, the yeah. He won a Nobel Prize. That's, That's not... Right. That's not, I mean, the no only, disrespect to the own, Pulitzer or whatever, but yeah. He was the uh, only one in the United States who's ever won yeah, uh, one. No, and, and like I said, as a writer, to to look at the same vistas that he does, we're we're so lucky that we get. I walked out of CVS today, and I looked at the peak of Fremont's Peak. You know, mm. and it's just like, and we walk out to this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but anyway, you want to take the last question, Claudia? Oh, yeah. uh, last question. Well. Last question will be, what have you not said that you want to say? Thank you. Um, So just as a closing, like my quick two minute shtick, um, my, my number one right now and, and, and that we need to address uh, is homelessness. And there are a number of solutions that have come about thanks to the state, you know, some of the transitionary housing that's been reported off Work Street, and you know, even Moongate Plaza wouldn't be possible without state support. Um, even the CARES Act funding and funding from the state that's allowed us to put up a spring a sprung structure in Chinatown, and we do street outreach. Um, I sit on the board for Community Human Services. We do mental health. We do homelessness. We do addiction. Uh, all of those intersect, and it, there's no better nonprofit. Oh my God, it's such a great nonprofit. Um, yeah, so. There's a program in Salinas that I've really taken um, a, a real love to, and that is Downtown Streets Team. And it arrived about a year and a half ago. And uh, before it even got here, I was like, oh, my God, this is so awesome. Like, I, I was in contact with their staff before they even got here and have been in regular contact. In fact, I'm, I'm inking an article on the uh, the work that they've done. Uh, so many people haven't heard about this. It's out of Oakland, San Jose. It's this idea that downtown streets team provides assistance in the form of social services, uh, food, housing, uh, you know, benefit to homeless in exchange for community service. And, and, you know, when they get together and they're chanting and building one another up, it's this, this dignity of, of service to the community and a benefit received in response uh, and ultimately an escalation. There's several levels of engagement through downtown streets team to the point of independent living and a job. And it, it's a program I'd love to expand countywide. So very excited about addressing homelessness with solutions. I also make the point that there's nobody from small business on the county board of supervisors. And I'm running as a small business owner. Uh, it's been hard. Small business is really hard. Uh, you know, you are every day fighting for your life. And in a pandemic where there's even more uncertainty, um, it's been even more difficult. So I want to be that voice for small business. Um, I tell people, as I think I pointed out on the, on the show today in the podcast, you know, I'm unique to having support from both, both labor in the form of the United Farm Workers and the Teamsters, but also our Chamber of Commerce, our Hospitality Association, and a long list here that, that just shows uncommon alliances. And, and that's where I want to work. I want to work as an independent, uh, you know, someone that can bring people together. Um, you know, I'm a registered Democrat, but that shouldn't mean, you know, some sort of wall or some, you know, means of, of like, oh, well, we can't work with him or her. Like, you know, I'm just, 
I want to work with everybody and get our, our problems addressed. So, you know, finally, and this ties to homelessness, housing, 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 housing. So many people are having to leave this area. And I have a proven track record for introducing both market rate and affordable housing units in my own city council district, I'm ready to get to work at the county level. And the county has all those levers. I mentioned the housing trust. I mentioned incentives so that developers can begin working on those units that that we need. You know, smaller, not to mention more dense housing that offers the amenities that I'm passionate about, like gardening. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, so that that's what I've got. Thank you, Claudia, for that. And people can reach me personally. My website is electmcshane.com. I'm going to give out my cell phone as well. Text me as you're listening to this. Be like, hey, Steve, heard you on the podcast. I've got a question for you. 831-970-4141. 831-970-4141. Please, everybody call him or text him just to, <laughs> just to prove how popular this oh podcast is. Oh my God, is. just say yeah. yeah. Right we on. can take that to yeah. advertisers. Let's like, go. Well, Salinas <laughs> Mr. McShane was inundated. Could not sleep for like three days straight. This has been great. Anyway, thanks for, for coming on. And yeah, so I remind everybody, election day is Tuesday, November 3rd. Uh, ballots will be coming in the mail soon. So be looking out for that. And yeah, do your part. D- d- learn, get educated. And... Yeah, yeah get vote. out and vote, everybody. Vote on November 30th.